Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. Wake-up call 049, God with us. Wake up call 049, God with us. This is the Faith for My Generation podcast, and I am your host, AJ. I'm so thankful that you're listening today. Let's get into the Word. We're going to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to get a little uh, Christmas in our theme. We're going to get some holly jolly cheer going on in the Faith for My Generation podcast this week and next. At the time of this recording, it is less than two weeks away. To Christmas Day in the year of our Lord, 2022. Man, I hope you're excited. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and a Christmas season with your family as we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I want to, I want to look at the account of Joseph and what we might call the Christmas story. We're going to learn a few things about Joseph, and then we're going to look specifically to this name that is given to the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, which means... God with us. All right, let's let's read a few verses and we'll we'll set the stage. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and she and he called his name Jesus. We have here what would be, as I mentioned, part of the Christmas story. Really, you got to go to Matthew 1, what we just read, Matthew chapter 2, and then also Luke chapter 2. And you put together Matthew and Luke's account to form up all the details that we know in the beloved Christmas story. I want to look specifically today, though, at verse 23, when the angel of of the Lord quotes to Joseph the prophecy that was given some 700 700 odd years ago of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. We're going to get into 
detail. What does that mean? How does that change our life? How does that affect us? What does that do for you and I as Christians, as believers? Just exactly what does that imply? God with us. I want to tell you something. When you understand and you get that revelation, that revealing of this truth, that God is with you, that when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're made a new creation so that the Spirit of God indwells in you and that God is with you. That changes everything. When you realize that the living God inhabits and dwells, His presence fills you, His Spirit fills you, you live spiritually. You're seated in heavenly places. Dwell in the secret place, in the shadow of the Almighty. That changes how you think, how you talk, how you act, how you carry yourself. changes everything. Now, before we get there, let's just cover a few details. I don't want to, to, to go, over, you know, go over too quickly this story, but let's just cover a few details. In verse 18, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother was betrothed to Joseph, Mary and Joseph at this time, they were engaged. Now we have engagements in the day and age we live. Sometimes they're short, sometimes they're long, and in my opinion, sometimes they're too long. <laughs> my wife and I, we, we met, dated, got engaged, and were married in less than two years. And we weren't necessarily old either. I mean, um, at the time of our marriage, I was 22 and Laura was 20. So uh, we, we moved along pretty quickly. Uh, you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess. But nonetheless, Mary and Joseph, they're engaged. Now, here's the thing about engagement in the day and age which Mary and Joseph lived and in Hebrew culture and Bible days. Engagement was a formal legal process. They had yet to come together in marriage, like in a marriage ceremony. They're not living together. They're not in the house together. And they certainly do not know one another sexually. They are still pure and undefiled in that way. And of course, would not be defiled once they're married, but they're pure and they're virgins. And then we, we see that. We see that Mary is because uh, verse 23, one says by the Spirit of the Lord that she is. The angel of the Lord reassures Joseph several times that this pregnancy is not a natural pregnancy, but rather a conception by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of her. But we see there that they're engaged, and this engagement is a legal, it's a, it's a, it's a legally binding union. And the only way by God's law, Deuteronomy 22, Deuteronomy 24, the only way that they could break off this engagement would be by bill of divorcement. This is why Joseph, when he's contemplating, he's thinking to himself, for instance, verse 19, he's a just man. He's righteous. So that means he's keeping himself until he is married before he knows his wife. Amen. Come on, somebody. That's not just good advice. That's the, that's the law of God. You know, if you're listening to me right now and you're not married, meaning that you are single or you're dating, keep yourself pure in your body until you are married. 
It's not my opinion. It's not a good idea, though it is my opinion and it is a good idea. At the end of the day, it is God's instruction and God's command and you will be happy for it. You will not regret living pure. You will not regret living pure. And in all your ways, you know, not just between uh, people and relationships and dating relationships, staying pure, but your mind, what you look at, what you listen to, keep yourself pure. Joseph was a righteous man. He was a pure man. And notice this, he loved Mary. Verse 19 says he didn't want to make a public example of Mary. He wanted to put her away secretly. He was a just man. He was a righteous man, but he was also loving and he was merciful because in Joseph's eyes, you know, think about it. I mean, come on, let's be honest. No one had ever had a virgin birth before Mary and no one ever has since then. And there never will be another virgin birth. You're Joseph. Put yourself in the mind of Joseph, the woman you love, who you are engaged to. You are happily waiting for that day of marriage to where you can come together, live together, know one another intimately. And then you find out she's pregnant. Well, of course you're going to assume that she is unfaithful. I I, I mean, be honest. No one's going to assume. No one would ever think, hmm, I wonder if she was unfaithful or if she's going to birth the Son of God. (laughs) That didn't cross Joseph's mind, and it wouldn't have crossed ours either. But that didn't take away the fact that Joseph truly loved Mary because he could, according to Deuteronomy 22, he could have made an open open show of her in this bill of divorcement. He could have made a mockery of her because, again, naturally, we have some inside information, right? And Joseph is about to get this inside information from the angel of the Lord. But you and I have the privilege of having inside information, Joseph didn't. So obviously he could get angry, he could get mad, and he could say, you know what? I, I, I was so happy, so willing. I loved her. I wanted to marry her. Then she's unfaithful. She's running around on me. No, forget this. We're, you know, we're getting a bill of divorcement. We're done. We're out of here. And make a big stinking show of it. But he didn't want to do that. He was a good man. He was upright. He was just. He was kind. And while he's thinking about these things, isn't this so kind and merciful of the Lord? Verse 20 says, But while he thought about these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The Lord knows your thoughts. Amen or oh me. You're going to have to say one of the two, right? Maybe both. The Lord knows your thoughts. Amen. Oh me. (laughs) The Lord knows your thoughts. But this is a this is a act of mercy on God. This is a kind thing toward the Lord, uh, from the Lord toward Joseph. The Lord is He says, "All right." And Joseph's asking a completely reasonable question. He's contemplating a completely reasonable thing. We need to, we need to tell him. We need to let him know what's going on. So he sends the angel of the Lord. I believe it was Gabriel. We see in and was it Luke chapter one that Gabriel is mentioned, named by name, uh, when he comes and speaks to Mary. Uh, I believe that this was probably Gabriel as well. You usually see him as the one who gives messages uh, concerning the things of Israel. And this certainly had a large part to play in Israel as a nation and 
and Israel in the coming days of what we see in the book of Revelation uh, at the second coming of Christ when Christ Jesus will come yet again and set up rule and reign in Jerusalem. So here comes the angel of the Lord tells Joseph, all right, look, first off, notice again, every time someone encounters an angel, they're always told, do not be afraid, which by simple inference, you know, looking at the text, you can make the assumption, and it's a good one, that they probably were afraid. If the first thing the angel says is, okay, hold up, hold up, hold up, don't freak out, it's all right, I'm a good guy, <laughs> then then by their appearance, by the glory that's on them and around them, they, they live in the presence of God, the, the holiness of this being, this angelic messenger, you know, when he shows up, wow, I mean, it's probably more than just what they see. It's what they feel. It's the the atmosphere. The room changes. And the first thing an angel always tells the person that they're delivering a message to is, all right, it's okay. We're good. I'm a good guy. I'm just here to talk. Don't be afraid. <laughs> What's really neat, though, is when you keep reading about this account and you go to Matthew 2, an angel comes to Joseph again and tells Joseph in a dream, Matthew 2.13, you need to leave and go to Egypt. And then when Herod, who's trying to execute Jesus by killing every child, every male child under the age of two and under, it's interesting, you look, Satan's has never really found a new tactic. Satan has always played that game of trying to kill the children. And, and, and there's a reason for that. It's because God gave man dominion. In Genesis chapter 1, God gave dominion of this planet, authority and dominion of this planet to man. And Satan hates that. He wants that dominion. And one of the ways he tries to attack that authority and dominion that God has given to the hands of man is to kill children. And we see that even today, uh, unfortunately, through the scourge and the shameful act and uh, of the killing of innocent children through abortion. But Herod, he does that, murders every male child to and under, hoping that he'll get this king that he has heard a word of from these men, these wise men, these magi, these, uh, these magician and astrologers from the Far East who have come seeking this newborn king. Well, so this angel tells Joseph, Matthew 2.13, go to Egypt. And then when Herod dies, in verse 19, when Herod is dead, Matthew 2.19, the Lord appeared, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph a third time and tells him, now it's time to go back. What's interesting is Matthew 2, chapter 2, verse 13, Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, the angel doesn't say, don't be afraid, the second and third time. I just, I noticed that when I was studying for this wake-up call. I thought that was Interesting. The first time the angel shows up, he tells Joseph, okay, don't be afraid. But the second and third time, he just shows up and tells him the message. I don't know if maybe Joseph like, uh, oh, it's you again. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to put words in, 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 but I don't want to put statements in between lines of scripture, but it's just interesting. The second and third time, the angel just gives the message. He doesn't have to tell him, all right, calm down. No, so you decide for yourself. It's interesting, though. 
So Joseph, he's a just man, he's a righteous man. The angel of the Lord tells Joseph, don't be afraid. And concerning the matter of your wife, your betrothed, what she has conceived, what's begotten in her, is by the Holy Spirit. She'll bring forth a son. You'll call his name Jesus. Jesus means God is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. I am the God of salvation. And then prophetically states in verse 21, He will save His people from their sins. When all that's done, when all that is fulfilled, uh, all this is being done and being fulfilled by the word of the Lord that was spoken through the prophet, verse 23, which is what prophet Isaiah prophesied. We're actually going to look at that in just a second. And then last thing I want to say about Joseph, verse 24, verse 25, he was obedient. Joseph, it's interesting, you look at the lineage of Joseph. You know, if you start reading Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, you go through all these so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And the purpose of that is because in the book of Matthew, we see the lineage of Joseph. And Joseph is, as the angel says, a son of David. Verse 20, Joseph, son of David. When the angel shows up, he speaks to Joseph and he speaks to him concerning his royal heritage. Now, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant with David. When God tells David, if you'll follow me, if you'll obey me, if you'll do what I command you, I'll make sure you always have a son that sits on the throne. Well, obviously through his natural descendants, that didn't happen because they forsook God they backslid, they turned, they, they turned from the things of God. They were in sin, and many of them were wicked kings. And God, all through the, His covenant in the Old and New Testament, He has that two-letter word that is very small if you write it down, but it's huge in meaning, if, 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 if. And God says, if you'll obey me, I'll bless you, I'll keep a son on the throne. If not, I'll chasten them, I'll discipline them. And if they don't return to me, I'll remove them. But God kept His word to David through Jesus because Jesus will take His rightful seat on the throne of David in the new Jerusalem. And He will rule and reign forever. And so Joseph shows the royal lineage. lineage. <clears throat> of course, Joseph is not Jesus' natural father, but Joseph is his adoptive father. And by way of Joseph, Jesus sees his royal lineage. If you go to Luke chapter 1, you see Mary's lineage. And it actually uh, traces from David, but then to another son, Nathan. In uh, and, and Matthew, it, it's David to Solomon, and then on forth. But in Luke, it is David to Nathan. And um, the, the, the lineage of Mary would be the lineal lineage or the, the descendancy by blood. So Mary's lineage takes Jesus by blood to David. Joseph's lineage takes Jesus back to the throne of David. Interesting learn that and study for this as well. So there's all, a lot of tidbits you can always pick up when you're studying. So I thought that was really neat. Joseph's heritage points Jesus back to his royal heritage to the throne of David. Mary's lineage, ancestry, points takes Jesus back through the bloodline of David. Now, 
Let's turn to Isaiah, Isaiah 7, verse 14. We're going to read this word that the prophet Isaiah speaks. The uh, Chapter 7 of Isaiah, there's a king of Judah named Ahaz. Ahaz is ruling in Judah, and he is fearful because the king of Israel has made a treaty, uh, an alliance rather, with Syria. And Israel and Syria have decided to go up against Jerusalem, against Judah, and make war against them. Well, Ahaz, the king of Judah, he gets scared. And he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? I can't withstand Israel and Syria. So Ahaz makes a decision. He thinks, well, I'll go ask Assyria, A-S-S-Y-R-I-A. So Judah wants to make an alliance with Assyria and war against or defend themselves against Israel and Syria, S-Y-R-I-A. Now, at this point in time, this is when the kingdom's divided. So you have the ten tribes of Israel and the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin that usually band themselves together. Uh, and there's a little bit of flux there as well. You see throughout Second Kings and Second Chronicles that there's just some righteous people in Simeon and different tribes that they just go back to Judah when there's times of revival and turning to the Lord. But nonetheless, the Spirit of the Lord tells the prophet Isaiah in verse 3 of Isaiah 7, Go to King Ahaz. I want you to give him a word for me. And I want you to take your young son with you, your infant son, Sheer Jehazabub. That's an interesting name, isn't it? <laughs> Which literally means a remnant shall return. So he goes before Ahaz. And he uh, Isaiah tells Ahaz in verse 11 of chapter 7, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above concerning, you know, hey, I understand you're concerned about this alliance of Israel and Syria. Ask the Lord for help. Let him, let him show you a sign that he will defend Judah. This is what Ahaz says in verse 12. I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. You know, then it says, then he said, Hear now, O house of David. This is Isaiah speaking. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? So Ahaz is trying to put off this mockery of piety and humility. Isaiah says, ask the Lord. See, he'll give you a sign and prove to you that he will defend you. Because in the first, the, the couple of verses before verse 10, Isaiah is trying to reassure Ahaz that the Lord will fight for Judah if you'll simply put your trust in him. And so Isaiah says to Ahaz, just ask the Lord. He'll, get, he'll give you a sign to prove it. And Ahaz, oh, I won't ask the Lord. I won't bother the Lord to ask. Oh, no, I would not do. I'm not going to test the Lord. Oh, no, not me. And Israel says, hmm, or excuse me, Isaiah says, hmm. So you won't ask God for a sign, but you will run off to man and make an alliance with him. You're trying to put off as if you're holy and humble and won't test the Lord. But here you are running around trying to make an alliance with Assyria and putting your trust in man. Then he prophesies, Isaiah prophesies in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Then he begins to say in verse 15, Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The Lord will bring up the king of Assyria upon you and your people in your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And then he continues to speak the word of the Lord. Verse 14 speaks directly and only to Christ Jesus. Verse 15 on, when we see in verse 15 and 16, this child is referring to the infant son of Isaiah that we see in verse 3 that the Lord told him to take with him as a sign to the king. You see my little baby boy? Before he learned, before he's, you know, obviously he's young, he's nursing with his mother, but before, before he is grown up enough to eat curds and honey and know right from wrong, these people that you're afraid of, Israel and Assyria, they'll be long gone because the Lord's going to defend you. The Lord will defend you. And Assyria, or excuse me, yeah, Israel and Syria, and Assyria that you're trying to put your hope in, they'll be long gone as well. But verse 14 speaks directly to Christ Jesus. Now you might think, wow, why is that? Why is there, it seems like there's two things going on here, and there are. Concerning prophecy, here's a little rule of thumb. It's called the law of prophetic perspective. The law of prophetic perspective. Whenever you're reading prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Haggai, Joel, Micah, all these prophets that we see in the Bible, generally they will speak of several events on God's timeline. And when they speak it, it may be in one word of the Lord in just a few verses in your Bible. But it can oftentimes refer to several events that may be hundreds or thousands of years apart. Oftentimes, the prophets will speak of immediate judgment, especially like with Israel and Judah. They'll speak of immediate judgment that might take place in the next year or hundred years. And also, it will have a double reference to judgment that will come in the last days that we see in the book of Revelation. Yet, this word of the Lord may only be a few sentences, and it covers a time span of events over the course of 2,000 years, you know, depending on the coming of the Lord and, and when the things of Revelation, the book of Revelation unfold. And that's called prophetic perspective. Imagine yourself climbing up to the top of a mount, a mountain. You know, imagine yourself in like the Rocky Mountains where there's a range of mountains and you t- climb up to the peak of one of those mountains. And as you're standing on the peak of the mountain, you look straight across and you see peak after peak after peak after peak of mountains. But you don't see the depth of each valley between each peak. It's the same way with the prophets. When they're being moved on by the Spirit of the Lord to prophesy, they see the peaks of each one of these events. They see the events taking place on the timeline of God, but they don't necessarily see the time in between each event taking place. And that's what we see here. There is an immediate word, verse 15, before my infant son is eating curds and honey, before he knows right from wrong, all the things that you're afraid about will all be solved and done away with. 
But then also verse 14 is referring to something that will take place about 700 years later, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's so beautiful, so wonderful about this is that when God speaks, it's so. When God says something, it's done, it's sure. The word of the Lord does not change, doesn't need to change. And with accuracy, some 700 odd years before Jesus is birthed into the earth, the Spirit of the Lord moves through the prophet Isaiah and he prophesies three things about the birth of Christ. Well, first off, we can see this. Verse 14 of Isaiah 7 says this, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, a virgin shall conceive. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. The virgin shall conceive. The first thing that we see that the prophet Isaiah reveals by the Spirit of the Lord is this birth will be unique. It will be one of a kind. She will be a virgin and she will conceive. Well, how does that happen? Well, we know because the Lord tells Mary it's by the Spirit of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, second thing that we see in this prophecy is the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. We know the sex of the baby. A son, he will be a son. And then last we see, shall call his name Emmanuel. We know a name. And that is rehearsed by the angel of the Lord to Joseph. It will be unique. We know he will be a son. And we know his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Now, I want to finish up today with this wake-up call. With, these, with that simple phrase, God with us. You can actually find many instances of God reassuring His people that He is with them. And I mentioned, I opened up the wake-up call with that idea. When you get that deep down in your heart, that God, the Creator of heaven and earth, all that is, Master and Lord of all things, He is with you. And I am with Him. And you are with Him. That changes everything that changes your whole perspective on life and eternity. Psalms 46, verse 7 says this, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Verse 11, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Same, same statement spoken twice. The same statement spoken twice. Psalms 46, 7, Psalms 46, 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. What does this tell us? That when God is with us, we have refuge. We have protection. We have a stronghold. We have someone that is our defender, that keeps us, that carries us, that protects us. It's amazing. It's beautiful. When you think about that, this entire Psalm of 46 is this idea that the Lord is our refuge. In fact, I can't help it. I've got to read it. Verse 10 right before it. You know, you see the first half of verse 10 on wall art and things like this. Uh, I'll read it. It says this, Psalms 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I always think it's funny. I'm just going to shoot straight with you. Whenever I see like wall art at Target or Hobby Lobby and they use the first half of this verse, I always laugh because it's always like really 
generally speaking, feminine design, flowers, butterflies, light pastel colors. Be still and know that I am God. Hmm. Be still and know that I am God. But it's like, wouldn't you quote the whole verse? Because when you quote the whole verse, it doesn't come off like skipping through a field of flowers with butterflies floating over you in pastel colors. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now that makes you want to jump, shout, and run around. (laughs) Settle down. Don't you know that the God of Jacob, the almighty Lord of hosts, the man of war, Exodus 15, 3, he is with us. He has not forsaken us. He will be exalted. That's why you can settle down and know that he is God. Just had to add that in there. because I mean, I laugh every time. I laugh every time I see it. Matthew, Matthew 28, and you won't see it. You'll see it differently every time now, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Sorry. Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. We see here the reality that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, shows that He has commissioned us. This is the Great Commission. He has sent us forth into the earth to be disciples and maker, makers of disciples. Yet we don't do it alone. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's with us until the end of this thing, until all of this is wrapped up, either at the end of our lives or the end of this age. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's with us. He's commissioned us. He's commanded us to go out and make disciples, but He's going with us. I love that. I love that. You know, we we, we had a... uh, We did a podcast called Open Doors several, several episodes back. But if you scroll scroll through, if you missed that episode, or you want to go back and listen to it, I highly suggest it. And um, uh, we were talking about Paul and his ministry uh, at Ephesus in, in verse 19, but in or chapter 19 of Acts. In chapter 18, Paul's ministering in Corinth, and he's going to go to Macedonia. And he's going to begin to minister in Ephesus. And he, he's going through some persecution there. And um, he knows that there's some people here in Corinth that basically want to kill him. They hate his guts. Um, and notice this, verse 9 of Acts 18, it says this, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. Verse 10, For I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Verse 11, And Paul continued there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. Paul was experiencing pushback, persecution. He knew there were people that if they could, if it were not for the protection of God, they would kill him the moment they got a chance. But the Lord tells Paul, 
Don't be afraid. Keep speaking and declaring my truth. Don't keep silent because I'm with you. Emmanuel is here. God is with us. Emmanuel spoke to Paul. God Almighty. He said, I am with you and no one will attack you or hurt you. And then reminds him, I've got many people in this city. The God of the open door, Emmanuel, when he opens a door, he doesn't just open it and let you walk through it by yourself. He walks through it with you. This is a prayer point that I've prayed, continue to pray over my church and over my nation. Let's see if I can find it. It's a minor prophet. I mean, I'm going to find it. The problem is it's just like one page long, right? So when you hit these minor prophets, you, there's just no way around it. You got to like just slowly flip through the pages. But I, it's in the book of Haggai. Haggai is a prophet in the time of the rebuilding of, of the temple during the same time of the prophet Malachi and Zechariah before what we consider about a 400 year of, years of silence uh, before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an interesting time and place in Israel and Judah. But Haggai is one of these last three prophets that speak before John the Baptist shows up several hundred years later. The Spirit of the Lord speaks to Haggai, and he says, he gives this message, the Lord's message to the people, this remnant that's rebuilding the temple and rebuilding Jerusalem, uh, the worship there in Jerusalem. Haggai 1 verse 13 says this, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Verse 14, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheetiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. I always think that's so amazing. The God of revival is Emmanuel. God with us is the God of revival. This one simple word, it's not like a you know 15-minute prophetic utterance. It's not a 66 chapters like the book of Isaiah is. It's just what? One, two, three, four. It's four words. The Lord's message was four words. I am with you. I am with you. God that is with us. I am with you, says the Lord. Those four, let, those four words, that one short message from God had so much anointing on it that when the prophet spoke, the people of God heard it, believed it, and then acted on it. And they went and did what God commanded them because they realized in their doing, God was with them. I love that. I absolutely love that. We're going to finish in Hebrews 13 today. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covenous. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I love this. The, re the reality is that Emmanuel, God is with us, provokes 
boldness in us. God says to you and me, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. I am here. I'm with you. And that stirs up our faith so that we can say, the Lord's my helper. I will not be afraid. What does it matter that man can do? Who cares? If God's with me, if God is for me, Romans chapter 8, who can be against me? Who cares? Who cares? Because the reality is God, almighty God, the God of my salvation is also the God that is near. For He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Hey, I'm so thankful that you joined me for this episode on the Faith for My Generation podcast. As I mentioned at the time of this recording, we're coming close to Christmas. I pray that you have an awesome Christmas season and that you truly keep the reason for this season at the heart of your lives and your family's lives that it is this. We, we're celebrating. We're, you know, it's just a date on a calendar. It's not the literal day that Jesus was born, but it's just a time where we all make a point to come together and celebrate and think on the goodness of God that God dwelt among men. He put on flesh. He humbled Himself, dwelt among men. He became the only begotten Son so that God could have many sons and daughters by way of salvation and the spirit of adoption. He was born that he may live, so that he may die, so that he could be risen from the dead, so that he might live forevermore. This is what we celebrate. Keep that at the heart of everything that you do in these next few weeks. And I pray truly the Lord's blessing be on you and your household. Hey, fun announcement. If you haven't already seen it, faithformygeneration.com. It's live. Go check it out. It's all spelled out as it sounds, faithformygeneration.com. And that four is F-O-R, not the letter, or not the number, rather. It's the letters. Faithformygeneration.com. Go check it out. Subscribe to the email list. That way you can stay up to date with what we're going to be releasing in the new year. I've got something. I believe we're going to do something the first 21 days of January. And I want you to be a part of it. So make sure I have your email so that I can send out an email alert or blast and you can have a way to connect with me. As well, um, leave me a voicemail. If you go to faithfulmountgeneration.com on your mobile device, I'm sure you could do it on a laptop computer as well if it has a microphone, but easiest is do it on your phone. faithfulmountgeneration.com, bottom right-hand corner, there's a little microphone. Click on it and you can record a voicemail and leave me a voicemail. This is what I'm asking. I'm hoping that in the next year, the year coming up, starting in January, that at e each time I do an episode on the podcast, that I'll have one question that I can answer from the Bible. So if you have a Bible question, the weirder, the better. The harder, the better. I'm not guaranteeing that I know the answer, <laughs> but I'll do my best. No, seriously, you got a question, you got a comment, you got something interesting that you want to share with the podcast family, leave a voicemail and you'll get featured on the podcast uh, that, you know, episode when it falls in line. Well, as I get them, I'll be able to put them on. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Be the first. No one's done that yet. Of course, we just released the news about the website a few days ago. But be the first to leave a voicemail. If you're, if you're shy, 
and you don't want you don't want to record yourself, send an email. You can send an email as well. I'll read it and then answer it. I would love for you to participate in that. I think that would be so much fun, and I would love to add that as a part of the uh, podcast episodes, a Q and A or a question and answer or a Bible question of the day, and we can answer it. I think that would be a lot of fun. I think we would learn all together about some interesting things in the Bible. Maybe we've never seen or heard before. Maybe it's questions we've asked before, but we've never gotten an answer, and we can find out the answer together. Well, hey, I'm so thankful for you. I pray that you will continue to keep in your heart and your mind this powerful revelation that when you believe on Jesus, He is with you. The Spirit of God indwells in you, and that makes all the difference. And remember, we are the faithful We'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.